Thomas Green here with Ethical Marketing Service. On the podcast today, we have Sid Massand. Welcome, Sid. Thanks for having me. No problem. Would you like to start by telling you, telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I'm uh, 34 years old. Um, I had a pretty traditional career when I started out. I went to engineering school. Um, and, you know, my ideal was to just work up my, my way up the corporate ladder and be an engineer and move up the organization where I'm currently working. And a couple of years into my career, I was, I kind of decided that wasn't for me. So I, I wanted to branch out and have freedom in my life. And, you know, here I am, uh, eight years later with my own YouTube channel. And that's kind of been my, it's pretty much my main focus these days. Yeah. Well, I can understand why. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. And you got, at the moment, 229,000 subscribers. Is that right? So, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's crazy. It's I never thought that would happen. And uh, 56 million views, which is yeah. nothing to be <laughs> pretty going to be pretty happy about that, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, I'm very thankful for all that. Yeah. So um, what do you I mean, what do you attribute to the main source of that success, I suppose? Well, ever since I was a young kid, even like growing up, I was always, I came from an immigrant family. Like my parents immigrated here in the seventies to Canada and the U S and I've always had a really strong drive to succeed at any goal that I try to put my mind to. And sometimes it works and most times it's good, but then sometimes you can create a lot of stress for yourself too. But it was just working in the corporate world and I loved being a project manager and I, you know, I still do enjoy it, but I almost feel like the system is so stacked against you. Like you have to work for somebody else for 30 years before you can even taste freedom, which is retirement. And I just decided that wasn't for me. Like I went, I tried to go through interviews, get promotions, never worked out for me. And I saw my coworkers getting promoted over me. And I was so tired of somebody else dictating my future. Like I want to have, be in control of my future and my family's financial well-being. So I, I started my own business and it really just started out as a YouTube channel. And I went through about four years of actually finding my niche. I failed a lot beginning at the start of my journey. And, but I was really driven to succeed. Like I was starting to see slow um, signs of progress. And it wasn't until like 2017 that uh, our company had a major restructuring, like where I worked. And it was just, I wasn't happy really during that period of my life. And I said, now is the time I'm going to go all in on my channel. And over the Latin, over those couple of years, you know, by 2019, it just exploded. And um, I was just driven to succeed at basically at any cost just to get my freedom. And if I ever wanted to walk away from my job, I'm thankful I can do that now. Mm. So it's kind of like a warning shot for you. Oh, yeah. Like in 2017, I had like a great stat, a team I was working with and just everybody was like leaving the organization. People were being fired. I mean, that created an enormous amount of anxiety for me, which I had never experienced in my life. And I was so sick of it. Like all these external people were causing this anxiety in my life. And I was like, I want to just break away from this. And I always felt like I was born to do something bigger than what I was doing at that point in time. And I think YouTube is that thing that I was probably meant to find and enjoy doing in life. So now that you don't have that stress anymore would you say that you're enjoying your job a little bit more oh yeah like um for the first seven years of my job i would have anxiety about things going wrong like you know as a young professional starting out your career you're really green and you 
I would always attribute any kind of failure on my projects to re be a reflection of myself. And, uh, you know, that's not the right way to look at things. I mean, there's so many things in life that you have no control over, right? And you can only control what you can control. And now I went after, you know, my channel blew up. I go into work and I have no stress. Like it, I look at all my coworkers and they're stressed. And I just have this attitude. It's like a very rock and roll attitude of, you know, you have this kind of swagger you carry yourself with. And it's like, this stuff doesn't stress me out because I can just walk away at any moment. And it's so, it's so amazing to have that feeling. I never thought I'd ever get that feeling. Okay, does that YouTube. make you a little bit difficult to manage? <laughs> it does now. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember when my channel started to blow up. I mean, I was much more, uh, I would, I would say what I was thinking, you know, a lot of people don't want to say that, but I don't have, feel like I have any repercussions because I feel like, you know what, I'm doing something that most people who I work with can't do. And I'm so thankful for that. And you can be difficult to manage. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm a pretty easy person to get along with, but you have to make sure that that kind of stuff doesn't get to your head too much because it can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you said you had some, you tried some others and I noticed in, in your notes that you, if I'm not mistaken, you tried five other, is it five so, other channels or five? Um, other I think, you know, I, I started out as a dating coach um, which wasn't really a YouTube channel so much. It was like giving seminars to people because I had met my wife online and I started helping guys and, and girls write good dating profiles because I realized a lot of people didn't know how to write about themselves. And I mean, you, I made some money doing that, but I hated it in the sense that I was just hearing about people's problems and um, that would, that can really be draining. So then I started YouTube and I got really into um, music because of rock band and guitar hero. That was the first channel I started, which was not that successful. And then I started like a Guns N' Roses channel, which, you know, it has like 52,000 subscribers or something. It's done pretty decent. But Guns N' Roses taught me like that, that channel taught me a lot about what people enjoyed, which was like these documentary style stories about bands. And that morphed into rock and roll true stories, which is where I'm at now. So did you change the channel or did you create another one? Who's rock and I, just, I just created another one. Um, I still have Guns N' Roses Central, as it's called, and it's still up there. And it's really like it, my production value was so bad on that. Like, it's just a reminder of how far I've come. Like, I didn't write a script to even do my videos. I just like did it like spur of the moment. My audio's all over the place. The graphics are terrible. Um, yeah, but people still enjoyed it. But it showed me there was an audience that people were enjoying those kinds of stories. Now, you know, I have like much better equipment. I have much better editing. I have a whole team that works with me now. So it's, uh, it's grown quite a bit and, and I've still got room to improve, you know, from, from where I'm at. Now, are you able to monetize that with, um, AdSense? Yeah, because, absolutely. Because presumably it's all, well, uh, to what degree do you have an issue with copyright with YouTube? So YouTube can be finicky with that kind of stuff. I've gotten hit with like 20 copyright strikes. Mostly on Guns N' Roses, and I've won every single one of them. Um, now, the law differs in each country, but in Canada and the U.S., it's probably the same as the U.K., you have fair use, which allows you to take someone's copyrighted work and then provide commentary over it. And providing, provided you're adding some sort of value to it, it's protected under fair use and you can monetize it. Um, there's so many YouTube channels that do that. Um, like, you know, Watch Mojo is probably one of the biggest ones. They use a lot of copyrighted content. We we use some content, but we don't use music videos from bands or audio recordings from bands. And we use a lot of stock footage and uh, that kind of stuff. So um, we've been lucky that we haven't had to deal with a whole lot of that. We're very selective in the stuff we use too. So we have guidelines that our editors follow 
so that we generally don't run into copyright stuff anymore. And uh, I mean, I want to talk to a copyright lawyer as well. I think if you're going to do the kind of stuff we do on YouTube, you'd be best advised to go talk to a copyright lawyer. Mm. So it's kind of like an ongoing, ongoing process. Yeah, I mean, it can be a headache sometimes, but uh, I mean, for the most part, we're pretty careful and and that. And um, yeah, you can pretty much monetize all of it on YouTube, but it's good to be diversified at the same time. So do you make use of anything else like Patreon or any other? You know, we, we did Patreon for a bit, um, but, you know, we put out so much content that it was difficult to do manage everything at once. I mean, so we do have like a website for Rock and Roll True Stories that, that um, is monetized and then there's a YouTube channel. And then, you know, I still have my day job. So I'm in a sense, I'm diversifying my income by having my day job still and then doing YouTube. But a lot of people have Amazon affiliate links where people can buy products through Amazon. You get a commission. Um, even YouTube has like memberships within YouTube. So like if you pay like a certain amount, your fa certain fans will be get higher ranked on the comments. We don't do that yet, but um, uh, there's a bunch of different avenues people can go through to, to monetize their content. Yeah. So if someone was, let's say they listen to our conversation and they are, they're inspired to start a YouTube channel. Generally speaking, what are some principles that you'd share with them about getting started? I think the, the most, the two most important things I always tell everybody is to uh, first ask yourself, what are you passionate about in life? Um, like, you know, your passions are probably different than mine and same with my other people. And the second thing is to, and, you know, the one thing you can always ask yourself what you're passionate about is, like, what do you know more about than the average person on the street? And then the second part is to go see how many people on YouTube are actually in that niche. Um, it's really important to have a niche on YouTube and not try to do too many things. So I would say to go on YouTube, look at that niche, um, see what are some things that people are doing really well. And what are some things that people are not doing well? And then you can kind of fill that gap. Um, I find the comments on YouTube, even though people... Uh, like the demonize the comments. There's a lot of interesting things that people write in there that they want to see that maybe creators don't do. Um, and then I think the third thing too is to use like keyword research tools. Like you can get Google keywords to see how many people are searching for that particular topic per month and you can see the competition. So I think those three things are, are pretty important. So doing something that you really enjoy and also finding out what the demand is. Yeah, like I, I love rock and roll. Like I would... If I had chosen something else, uh, I don't think I would enjoy it day in and day out. I think, uh, and I think the other thing too is to have a, and I've learned this the hard way, like having a work-life balance. Like I was working 40 hours in my normal job when I started my channel and I just had a baby. And then I was also doing my channel on top of that. And, you know, I don't sleep that much, but, um, you know, just you, at some point you can't keep burning yourself out and you have to learn to have a work-life balance and actually have things in your weekly calendar that you're enjoying doing whether it's you know like for me it's like learning guitar right now or um, going for walks and that kind of stuff and how often do you upload now um right now it's three times a week uh up till like last year it was like five to seven times a week and when i first started it was 14 times a week uh, just because you look at the production quality like when i started it took no time to make a video now it takes like five to 10 hours from start to finish to make a video. So it, to me, it was really important. The quality improves as the channel grows. And a lot of my fan, a lot of my fans and subscribers have always at the beginning of the early days, they always pointed to the quality should be, should be better, but the, the message they really liked. Okay. So it's more about, I suppose 
there's always going to be that balance between quantity and quality. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I think the most important thing is um, to, to make sure you don't have to upload three times a week. You need to be uh, consistent with your audience. So your audience knows that, you know, for me, they know that Sid's going to upload three times a week. They know to expect Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but for some creators, they do it once every three weeks and that works for them. Some people do it once a month. Um, just, and also because some creators spend like a lot more time editing and, gathering resources so as long as you're consistent consistency is the name of the game really it doesn't have to be once a week hmm. yeah i guess um well would you agree that the more infrequent you are with uploads the higher the quality needs to be um i, w- I well I, I would think so if you're taking a longer time between it i would i would think the quality should definitely be there if people are going to hang on to, to what you're saying if you're only putting out like 18 videos a, a year or something yeah. Yeah. Like for me, it was really important that, um, like right now I'm at three a week and maybe a year from now it'll be two a week. Um, mm. at some point too, I want to like enjoy my life and not be working as many hours as I am. Cause I think I was doing 30 hours a week on my channel and then 40 on my job or 33 and a, 33 and a half. And then having family time with that, it's, it's a, it can be a lot. Um, so my desire to go forward is to just scale back a bit and, you know, not having to rack my brain over ideas and, and running, worrying, uh, running out of content too. So, have you considered the exit of your YouTube channel? I've and sometimes meaning, thought, um, you know, selling it essentially. Yeah, I have thought about that. I don't know how common it is, like, for YouTubers to sell their channel. I've heard that people have. I've gotten offers before, but they're kind of laughable. Mm. Um, but um, you know, at some point, I think I might go down that avenue. Um, it's something I'd probably consider for sure. Like, uh, it was funny whenever I, uh, when I started working where I work, I always used to joke with everybody that I was going to retire when I was like 35 and quit the job. And now I'm like, I'm 34 and I can be like, yeah, <laughs> my dream is to, I just the, to have a good quitting story would be really interesting and maybe you could film it and put it on YouTube. But yeah, the exit, it's sometimes I wonder like, what's the end game like with, with YouTube, but that's part of the fun though. I guess you, you kind of wonder where you're going to be in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I had an interesting um, exit from my job, and I, I decided it was going to be um, New Year's. I was going to start a new year off in business. Yeah. So I was an employee, and I decided that was it, whether I had something to go to or not. I, I had to cut off, and that was it. I wasn't going to be an employee anymore. So you're kind of ahead of me in the sense that <laughs> you've already got something to go to. But, yeah. Um, the hardest thing is that, you know, with YouTube, with my job, you get that social, well, maybe not so much with COVID, but you get that social interaction, like seeing people and actually having a conversation uh, in, in real time. Whereas, you know, with YouTube, you don't get that. And YouTube can be a very lonely place, even if you have a team, because they're all spread out over the world. Um, so that can be a little, you know, difficult. Plus, you know, with your, with your commenters, you don't know them person to person you just know them as this person behind a keyboard so youtube i understand why creators have burnout and why youtube can be like a really lonely place um, i think that's another reason why i go to my job is because i get that social interaction that mm. i probably need in my life yeah yeah um, there's there's a regular theme with entrepreneurs that it can be a, a pretty lonely endeavor oh yeah absolutely like thankfully like we have a full house but like, where i live but i think i need that just to have some sort of normalcy and I feel like it kind of brings you down to to like I think when you read most of the comments on YouTube are good but then I think uh you can uh, to me it's nice to use my degree as well just to like 
I went to school for five years, I might as well keep using it for the foreseeable future. Like, I don't think I would ever quit my job in the foreseeable future. Okay. Yeah. And have you um, uh, noticed any recurring theme where you've seen that some videos are more popular than others or perhaps some videos that haven't worked at all? Yeah, like, um, it's, it's difficult in some sense. Like, there's certain bands or artists who are niche enough that a lot of people... Like they're they're not too niche that uh, people don't know about them, but like enough people have heard about them, but there's not a lot of videos on them. So it's like trying to find that little balance of like just the right band to sometimes do stories on. But as much as I don't want to say it, like people seem to love negative stories, which can sometimes be draining. Like you know, feuds between artists, death stories, band breakups, lawsuits. People seem to really enjoy at least the 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 views for that tell that story. Um, but, but then sometimes for certain artists, it doesn't work. But, uh, you know, for me, I find with my audience, nostalgia is a big thing. So I grew up during the 90s. So if I find like the sweet spot for my stories is like the 80s to the early 2000s is like, those are the stories that generally tend to do pretty well. I tried to do something that was like from a modern artist that's popular today, and it didn't do quite as well. But then when I did like, say, the Beatles, um, there's so many other channels who probably can do more justice to the Beatles than I could, that those videos don't do quite as popular. Same with Rolling Stones. But if it's like between that two decade period that I normally focus on, they generally do reasonably well. Um, the other thing that I've done with my channel is that my audience has a lot of say in the content I create. So we allow our audience to just give us suggestions and we use a lot of those suggestions. And we see patterns like a lot of bands keep coming up and same stories keep getting requested. So those are generally indications to me that okay, those videos will probably be more popular. Mm. Do you encourage that in your videos as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like we created a special Google form, which I don't think a lot of YouTubers even do for people to request stories. And uh, I look at it like a couple times a week and it's like I've got hundreds of requests for different artists and specific stories and it's sometimes overwhelming but it's also nice in the sense that okay um you know i don't have to worry about running out of ideas anytime soon yeah that yeah. is a problem with some creators i think like what should i what should i create today whereas you've got a to-do list that's too long yeah it's to-do list yeah, i get people ask me where's this video i requested it seven months ago and it's <laughs> like you know there's a, and then you know on top of the request list there's also just stories that i want to do just to 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 talk about so it's it's striking that balance but uh, and i hear a lot of really good feedback from subscribers saying like hey you always reply to our comments you always say you're going to do these stories and you do them so um it's really important to like build that community with your with your subscribers mm, being helpful to them yeah being helpful to them and just like i think people want to be listened to as well like when i was when i worked as a project manager we did a lot of public engagement and dealing with the public and the thing I learned from doing that is that people at the end of the day, whatever their situation is, they just want to be listened to, uh, whether or not you're going to do what they, what they want you to do. So I think that, that from my normal job probably helped me with YouTube. Hmm. So do you have like a, a formula that you follow with uh, your content or is it pretty much just based on the requests and the um, demand? It's kind of like uh it's what I'm really just feeling during the day. I try to balance out my schedule, like uh, for my uploads. Like I don't want to do anything that's too heavy towards one decade. I want to like have variety. So for me, maybe it'll like um, this week we did. Um, what did I can't remember what we did this week. We did like we have a '90s story. We did like an '80s story. We we sometimes do stuff that's topical, like the Super Bowls this weekend. So we did a Super Bowl story. 
Um, it's yeah, it's, I try to provide enough variety. I don't want to do all metal one week or all classic rock. So people who maybe aren't fans of one genre can find something that they enjoy, at least in that week. And then every week I pull my audience and say, what was your favorite story this week? And uh, that shows me patterns and the types of stories people like. But we generally do follow a, a pattern in terms of how we create the content. Like, you know, research is always number one. And that's probably the longest part of any video I do is finding research, finding super old articles, finding interviews, listening to interviews, and then trying to create like a cohesive story is like, that's the hardest part. Everything else after that, like editing is easy, I find. Uh, and doing the thumbnails and that kind of stuff. But I find that sometimes the creative process can be a little draining. It's some scripts just sit for months and months because I just don't feel inspired to follow up on it at that point in time. Mm. So you like to stay away from controversy or is it something that you kind of do necessary evil? You, you know, there's there's some stories I don't think I want to talk about. Like people always ask about like, especially stories where there's like conspiracies and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, Kurt Cobain's death would be one example. I get people asking me to do that. And there's probably, there's the official story and there's all these other stories that people believe. And with YouTube, YouTube is, has got a problem with censorship. Um, I find like if you don't stick to one side of the story, then they may not let you upload that content or you may get demonetized or something. So it's a fine balance with that. There's some stories I don't want to do because they're just too controversial. Um, but it's, it's, it's some stories I do that are controversial. It's difficult. It's usually what I'm feeling, like whether I feel like my audience will react positively to it or not. Uh, so that's, it's a fine balance you have to, you have to kind of strike. Mm. Well, it does sound, at least so far, that you've got uh, a good idea of what it is that your audience wants and you're catering to it, essentially. Yeah, like, um, you know, YouTube gives you a lot of demographic information. So most of my audience is like that 35 to 55 range who grew up during those two decades that I focus on. It's funny, not a lot of younger people like below 18 are really subscribed to our channel. And uh, so maybe that's why the newer bands don't do as well, because I find people my age don't really I don't listen to modern radio that much. So I'm not really familiar with a lot of what's happening right now in rock and roll so much. But yeah, I, th I like to think that I'm trying to cater as much to my audience as I can. But but now, like when the ad revenue is like really slow, it gives me I feel like more time to be creative and and focus on bands that maybe people haven't heard of, or more obscure acts. And okay. I find sometimes those are the best stories that people don't even know about. And do you plan on expanding the audience in addition to what you've already got? Yeah, like we're, we started doing like uh, Instagram and TikTok, we're kind of thinking about, but Instagram's definitely a younger demographic than probably the people who watch my channel. So we, we've been doing that the last couple months and we've been creating special content for Instagram and showing behind the scenes stuff and uh, directing people to the YouTube channel. And, and I'm sure that's probably been helping um, people find our content. It's, it's funny though, so when I look at the stats, like, our stuff gets shared so much on Facebook, especially, and other websites that uh, a lot of people are probably taking our content and just sharing it on the, the communities they already exist on, mm. which is kind of nice. And I know that um, it's probably not relevant now, but did you have any um, ambition to go out and, I don't know, go to tours and venues and review bands that sort of thing or is that not something that's on your radar i would love to do like i don't know if reviews are so much i feel like there's people who do it much better than i would do but um i remember when i was doing my guns and roses channel we went to la where guns and roses are from 
uh, and we shot a bunch of stuff from the places that like were line marks and associated with the band. And that was really fun. Um, I would love to go do that. Like we were hoping to travel more than we did this. We didn't really travel at all this year, but in the future, I'd love to just go to like these places that are, you know, rock and roll meccas and just film that kind of stuff. That would be really cool. Like maybe going to the rock and roll hall of fame or going to, um, uh, just different other locations too. Like that would be something that might be interesting to do uh, in the future. Yeah. But maybe not right now. Yeah, maybe not right now. I don't, I'm a germaphobe, so I don't want to leave my house if I can avoid it. Yeah. So you mentioned um, thumbnails previously. Yeah. It is a topic of interest with YouTubers. Have you got any thoughts to share on your approach to thumbnails? Yeah, thumbnails are, I almost feel like, you know, you spend all those hours doing research, editing, and thumbnails are like the thing that people spend the the viewer spends six or seven seconds on determining whether they're going to watch your video and you have to come up with something that's eye-catching uh for me i've always been told that i use too much text on my thumbnails and i try to minimize the amount of text it's hard sometimes when you're trying to convey a story in a few words but for me it's really important to use an image that conveys emotion of whatever you're talking about um there's lots of especially like a close-up shot of somebody and like a lot of channels do this and uh, that I think is the first thing people will look at and then having like um, having just as many as few words as you can to describe your story and then having like a we use like a, a darker red background. So I think if you can combine all those elements, uh, it should be something that's eye catching, but you should also create thumbnails that are consistent to your brand. Like they should look somewhat similar from video to video. So they kind of associate those thumbnails with your channel. Mm. Yeah, so I think those are the the key things. I do spend some videos. I spend a lot of time on the thumbnails, and some videos it just comes naturally. And uh, I sometimes I do wonder if certain videos' performances would be better if the thumbnails were better. Yeah, like I sometimes I think I have a great thumbnail, and it just doesn't work that well. Yeah, it's kind of a it's an interesting topic because, like you say, you spend so much time on the video, and the thing which determines the views can, in sometimes, be just the image that you create. Take. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes for certain bands, like the more obscure bands, there's just not a lot of images to go off of. And then you kind of have to work with what you have. So your thumbnail may not be as good as it would be compared to like a more well-known band. And regards to new features on YouTube, are you, are you fairly, um, you know, just doing your thing or do you stay quite current with what the new, new trends are with YouTube? Um, I try to stay current just to see if they're helpful to our channel. I know one of the big new features, and it's probably been inspired by Instagram and TikTok or the, the stories that you get on your mobile app. Uh, I don't think you can see it on desktop, but um, I found that like that drives a lot of subscribers because uh, they give you stats. Like Our, our stories in a two-week period get almost 100,000 views, and then it shows you you get like 100 or 300 subscribers just from that. So we try to use the features I find that a lot of the features don't really relate to us, but um, the stories is something I've been making a lot of use of. Sometimes a lot of the features have to deal with the law. Like uh, they have these new, like uh, if you're like a creator for stuff for kids, like I know those creators have been hurt pretty badly by some of the changes on YouTube with uh, AdSense and, and some laws that have been passed. So we try to stay current on that kind of stuff too, just to see how it affects us. But um, other than that, it feels like YouTube has been generally the same. It hasn't changed too much since mm. when we started got the fundamentals down then as long as you're consistent 
Yeah, as long as we're con- as long as we're consistent, and uh, you know, I think I think we'll be fine. And you know, whenever I do have a question, um, YouTube has like a cre- they've improved their help, um, like their their staff. If you have questions about YouTube, like I had to email them this weekend, and they're generally pretty quick to respond to you. Uh, back in the day, it wasn't so easy, so I think they probably listened to one of the complaints from creators. Mm. Yeah, that that was quite. Um... I had a different channel a while ago and that was a, that was a big problem. I had some, some copyright issues where it wasn't justified, but it was upheld just because someone made the claim. And then when you yeah. try and contact someone is basically a no reply email address. There's just no one responding. So. Yeah. Like the dealing with like the claim, was it like a strike or was it just a claim or? Uh, it's been a while now. Um, I think at the time it was just, you know, this is our content. Um, and you know, you, you dispute it, but there was no, I know that it's slightly different now, but, um, back then it was just like, until, um, this is, uh, concluded that you own the content, then this other person gets the content and it, it didn't go in my favor and there was no way to get in touch with anyone. So. Yeah. Like the, the thing, like I had a copyright strike recently, I done a video on an artist and, we used like a little snippet of a trailer from a movie that was about the artist, but we didn't use any of the audio. We provided commentary over it. And I guess the director got in touch with me and, or he didn't get in touch with me. He got in touch with YouTube and filed a strike and I tried to email them and yeah, they don't respond. And I just filed a counterclaim and YouTube accepted it. And then they have like basically 10 days to file a lawsuit against you. And uh, the lawyer I talked to um, early on in my channel, she said, most people are not going to sue you over a 10 second clip because lawsuits are expensive, right? Mm. And they're a legal headache and people are in different countries, especially with COVID. It makes everything much more complicated. And yeah, I mean, most people will just let that 10 day thing expire and the video gets reinstated. And, uh, yeah. thankfully I think YouTube has started to penalize people who abuse the copyright claim system or copyright strike system. So you can't just go file 10 fake copyright strikes on people, but yeah, it's definitely nerve wracking dealing with that's a headache for sure. No, it sounds like you've you've done okay um, relative to most because I think one of the things which um, people or copyright owners, what they would do is that they would, you, you have three copyright strikes, then your channel gets taken down. Yeah. So they formulaic, they do it formulaically. So they'd start with one and then they yeah. do another the, the week after and, you know, you can get your channel taken down basically. That happened on my Guns N' Roses channel. I had three strikes against me. And it was just a phony copyright strike from somebody who didn't even own the copyright. And uh, I just uh, counterclaimed every single one because it was commentary I was doing. And uh, thankfully, I won all of them. But uh, yeah, I mean, people used to do that kind of stuff. And it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I think hopefully YouTube's going to improve the system where people have to actually legitimately prove they own the copyright before putting the strike on you. Okay. Yeah. And do you have any thoughts on titles and descriptions? I know that Titles, I, in my opinion, my title is quite a big deal. Descriptions, they encourage you to do good descriptions, but I don't think a lot of people do. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, like titles are for me, it's like always I start with the band name and then, you know, there's certain words that do really well, which I kind of hate to keep using, but like, like tragic works really well. Or uh, I find like, yeah, tragic or the rise and fall. Like there's certain patterns that you see with with how the kinds of titles we use um, regarding descriptions. Uh, I fill out all that stuff, like the tags, I max out the descriptions. I put subtitles in for all my videos now. And those are supposedly supposed to help your SEO because um, mm. YouTube, I think is the second most used SEO uh, search engine in the world. 
And uh, so we try to maximize it as much as we can. But it's hard to get a sense of how much it actually helps you. Like, I think I've read some articles that say, you know, subtitles, generally videos get 7 to 10% more views than they would if they didn't have subtitles. Okay, that's interesting. So I've read that, but there's really no metric. They just encourage you to do it. So I just do it. Um, it does take a little bit more time, but at least I can put stuff out and be like, okay, well, I've done everything on my end to optimize it mm. as much as I think I can. You're doing essentially everything that you can and the rest. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of YouTube yeah. coaches and YouTube consultants recommend doing that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Mm. And um, you said, when you said tags, do you mean... Um, hashtags or do you mean the tags uh, which well, both like we use hashtags because youtube just introduced that about a year or two ago and then there's the actual tags like that um i don't know if the audience can see them but there's tags like keywords that you can type in i think you can have up to 500 uh, characters so we try to max those out and we use like a program called vidIQ which is like a free extension you can get and it basically ranks your seo score on all your videos mm, so it basically says oh you're 72 here's what you need to improve uh, so that's been a helpful tool. Um, if you upgrade to like the paid version, I think they tell you certain words that are that rank better or certain controversial words you should stay away from. Um, so yeah, vidIQ is good, but I think you should try to optimize as much of your video as you can, especially early on um, when you're starting out so people can find your content to begin with. Because it's hard when you start out as a new person on YouTube, like your content won't rank very high up on the searches to begin with. Do you use any other tools? Uh, I think it's important too to uh, um, post stuff on uh, on forums like that are related. Like uh, there's a really we do a lot of stories on the grunge bands of the '90s. So there's a good subreddit called Grunge that we post our videos on too. So it it creates backlinks to your videos, but it also um, would introduce your videos to maybe an audience who wouldn't see them otherwise. So we post them on there, um, and then any other kind of communities you can post them on, like Facebook groups and Facebook pages. Um, you know, post it. We remind people on Instagram that we're on there. We also have a website to link to the videos. And we also do like a newsletter as well um, to send out to our subscribers. One thing that um, we did that was, I think it was my wife's idea, which was just like a genius idea, is that uh, we, in addition to having our request form where people can submit requests, it's also a great way for people to opt into our newsletter. Mm. So it's a great way to direct people if they want to sign up for a newsletter. We were able to get a lot of signups through our newsletter that way too. So um, we're able to just keep reminding people that, uh, you know, we have new content out. There's also the community tab on YouTube where you can write messages to your subscribers or you can just post links to videos. Um, those are useful as well as the YouTube stories we post videos to. So we try to create as many sources or avenues for people to find our content rather than just going to the YouTube homepage. Yeah, I'm starting to see a little bit more why you've got so many subscribers. <laughs> well, I've started to implement like a lot of this stuff, um, you know, er, early on, like, uh, sorry, uh, in the last like year or so. And yeah, it does build up subscriber bases because it did feel like I was plateauing. Like I wasn't gaining more than X amount of subscribers per month. But once you start to do this other stuff, you start to see like a, um, an increase, especially like the vi once the video quality got better and naturally like the subscribers went up too. Is there anything that you feel like you should be doing that you're not? Um, I feel like even though I'm, it's a good question. I think right now, like, it's nice to have the space to put out less videos. Like going forward, I have a team that's helping me edit some of the smaller videos so that I love focusing on these much longer videos. 
And then as we get towards the end of the year, I already have some ideas for like maybe 30 minute videos, which I haven't done yet, but I want mm. to or 40 minute videos. Um, so it's a little scary how I'm going to tackle that because like when I record a 20 minute voiceover, my voice is shot for like the next day. Um, I feel like that's what I want to be doing right now, but I don't feel like I'm mentally prepared to start it yet. I feel like as the year goes on, I'll probably start those much longer documentary style videos. Maybe if you get a, a meaningful topic that yeah. you really want to talk about it might be a bit easier, right? Yeah, like I've got about, uh, I have like a journal I write all my ideas in and uh, like I've got about seven or eight topics that I want to do, but it's just a matter of like finding the right time like to actually sit down and, and do that. And I know I'll find that time. It's just a matter of being mentally prepared. I feel like when you're in a creative space, if you're not mentally prepared to do it, then you're not going to create a good product and your audience will see that. Mm. So it's sometimes just getting in that mental frame of mind. Um, that's sometimes the hardest part. Do you ever, um, do you see a time where there's a possibility of you not being um, involved or not being actively involved in the videos at all? Where you've got a team and you, you go say, um, look, there's a, there's a topic that I want you to create a video on. Can you go away and do this and come back to me? Yeah, it's funny. My, my wife was talking to me about this yesterday and, um, we're starting to slowly do that. Like we have, uh, an assistant who's helping us research some of the topics. And we've been really good. Like, I think I've been able to find some ways of researching topics that I don't think anybody else is on YouTube. And, uh, but it's time consuming. So we're starting to get people more involved outside of myself in the creative process, where I'm sort of more of a creative director. But I think in some, I don't think I'll ever step away from it and just direct people fully. I, I still really enjoy editing the longer videos and I still enjoy doing the research myself too. Um, but yeah, I'm starting to give up more control and that's part of finding that work life balance. I think mm -hmm. as you grow as an entrepreneur, like you can't keep doing everything yourself because you'll burn out. Um, maybe if I quit my full-time job, then I, I would maybe not have to worry about that. But, um, for me, yeah, I think you need to step back and that's the hardest part for me is giving up control. I think you need to sometimes like learn that, okay, you have to give up control, but you're going to get part of your life back in a sense. Yeah, that might, um, that might give you the opportunity to maybe create those 30 minute ones that you wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, some of these shorter videos that we're looking at, I'm just going to give them to the, to my editors to do, and I'll just do the voiceovers and the script and, you know, they can go off and do a great job with editing it. Have you got any sort of beginner's tips for editing? Cause I don't, from someone who I, you know, I've been editing for a long time, so it does, it's not a problem for me. But in terms of if you, if you wanted to start a channel and you didn't have that background knowledge, did you have to go through that process? Um, you know, for me, I started editing, uh, on, on, uh, what's the, uh, I'm just trying to think what's the default software that comes with a Mac. Uh, fine. Uh, was it, uh, I don't know why iMovie. Sorry. I think it's called okay. iMovie. So that's like the default software I taught myself. It's a really simple software to learn. Um, I, I learned probably by just trial and error and then also by YouTube. YouTube is just such a great wealth of knowledge for that kind of stuff. I think if you're starting out, the most important thing is having good audio. So having like for commentary style videos, uh, getting a decent USB mic, being in a room, there's not a lot of echo. Like my closet is where I record all my, all my videos because the clothes just stamp and everything. And you don't need a fancy software. I think as long as your audio is good and the message is good, that's all that matters. Uh, when it came to wanting to improve the quality of my videos in all aspects, I then got Final Cut Pro and 
I learned that by trial and error too, but YouTube taught me a lot of things I didn't know how to do on Final Cut Pro. Mm. And uh, also just like, uh, we went and talked to a YouTube coach about a year after our channel started. And he gave us a lot of good tips about building relationships with our communities, investing in better equipment, recording techniques, and just certain books to read. So I think the biggest thing is, yeah, make sure you have good audio and just mess around with the um, simple editing softwares. They're not rocket science. Like, I don't know anything about technology and I somehow figured it out. So I think the messages of a guy like me can somehow figure out anybody can do it. So um, that's probably my message for them. And, you know, don't be afraid to just put stuff up and see how it does. And that was kind of scary for me at the beginning because you're putting yourself out there. I don't have a traditional background in voiceovers and stuff. I I was horrible when I started. Somebody left me a message saying, I've, I've been following you for five years or three years. And, you know, when you started, it sounded like you were being charged by the minute you were talking. Like I was so fast paced talking. And now I'm trying to like learn from what the subscribers are telling me and slow down and still improving every day. But just remember, there's lots of room for improvement and you'll get better at it. Right? Yeah. Start now and get perfect later. Yeah. Start now and get perfect later. And, uh, yeah. And just, you know, have fun with it too. Like if you're passionate about it, then it should, it should be fun to do this kind of stuff. Mm. So controversial question for a YouTube conversation. Are you on TikTok yet? <laughs> I, I think I put up my first TikTok and I got like zero views. Um, I got a lot to learn about TikTok and uh, I, I I just put up one post, but I need to like do some more research and see like what ranks really well. Are you, are you on TikTok? Uh, yes. How have you found it so far? Um, well, I'm, you, you mentioned the, the demographics, so... I think um, it's, it's certainly a younger demographic, so it might be your way to reach that audience. Um, I've, I've found it as a user to be far more engaging than any other social media platform, and I'm a big fan of YouTube. So I've been on yeah. YouTube for years, and TikTok has the ability to to really keep people on their platform, so I do think it'll be it'll be well worth getting on. Yeah, I think I need to spend more time on it. And I feel like everything that my wife shows me these days is on TikTok. Mm. Um, mostly like stuff she just comes across. It's like very shareable content and uh, it can reach a lot of eyeballs too. Mm. Having said that, no um, monetization there. So Yeah, like I've, I've heard some stories of like younger people getting into TikTok and I guess brand sponsorships. I guess that's another big way of monetizing YouTube is like brand sponsorships. Mm. Um, Have you been approached? Yeah, you know, you get approached by a lot. Um, I've done like one, I think, on Rock and Roll True Stories. And it's probably, in, you know, Nord, I think it was NordVPN or ExpressVPN. You see this on every YouTube channel, probably. <laughs> and then we get, a, we get approached by a lot of other stuff. But it's kind of like that rock and roll cliche of like selling out. Um, I just, I don't want to endorse stuff that I myself would never use. And some stuff just doesn't seem like a good fit. Um, there's some companies I have in my head who'd be like a great fit that we're maybe going to go talk to with the future. But I do feel like some YouTube channels are just like everything is like an ad that is trying to get you to buy something. And I think people generally don't like that. Mm. I find like I do follow like a lot of fashion, like men's fashion stuff. And like everything is built around an ad. They're selling you watches they're selling you, you know, men's, uh, you know, medical supplements or whatever it may be. So uh, for me, like I don't want to steer too much into that unless it's like a good fit for my channel yeah yeah there's a balance isn't there yeah like i think uh you know somebody once told me they said maybe you should like 
put like a paywall on your channel and put longer videos for people who actually pay a subscription fee. And I was like, no, I mean, I want kids who are maybe younger kids who are just discovering rock and roll to learn something. I don't want to create like a paywall for people who, um, who want to learn about a topic to me. I don't, to me at least it doesn't seem fair. So what would a, a good, um, fit be for a promotion on your channel? Do you think it would be, like the release of an album or something? Would that be? Yeah, like I did get approached by, I think it was Rhino Records, who was owned by, I hope I'm not saying this right, I think it was Atlantic. They have some like big name artists on their label. They want, Their social media person approached me once and they said, oh, we love your content. We'd love to, if you would do some um, content around artists whose albums we're releasing. So if an album's putting out, like a vinyl reissue's coming out, you could do a story on that and then promote it. And we got into talking, but some reason it just fell apart. Like it just didn't work. I think something like that would be cool. I think something that my audience, like uh, there's like certain cool, like rock and roll, like fashion brands or like um, they sell that kind of aesthetic that maybe our audience is into. That would be cool, but nothing like that's too far into left field. Um, I think something that stays in the realm of rock and roll is probably cool. So just a sort of last um because I, I keep coming back to your subscribers, so I'm thinking, like, um, because of your reach, why why aren't more people like that getting in touch with you? But the the question that it that comes up for me is, do you, how much of your how many of your views come from subscribers versus other um, traffic sources? Well, I get conflicting data. Like YouTube has one thing, but then Viduli is like another um, YouTube tracking website that I sign up to. Like I was looking at my Viduli this morning and they said like 50%. I'm like, that number seems too high. I feel like probably 20%, like 15, 20% is from subscribers. Um, I do think that part of it, I, most of my views come from like YouTube recommendations, like overwhelming majority is like, I think it's 87%. So whatever YouTube's recommending is working for me apparently. Um, and then, you know, a small percentage comes from YouTube searches. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly YouTube recommendations, people seeing it on their browse features if they're subscribed. Um, I think another reason like uh, the uh, maybe more people aren't coming and asking us to promote stuff is that I feel like that works really well for personality type channels. Like uh, one channel I'm subscribed to is called Alpha M. He's got like 6 million subs on YouTube. He does men's fashion, men's lifestyle. And he's a personality. Like you see his face and there's certain uh, parts of his personality that people really gravitate towards because he's a very likable guy. And whereas with me, it's more of like, I'm telling a story. I'm like a segue to, for people to hear about the band. And I don't know so much if I would call myself like a YouTube personality. And I feel like people build a kind of trust with a personality on YouTube. And they're probably more inclined to buy a product from a personality than just like a voiceover. I think you're a likable guy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you got any uh, closing, anything you'd like to add as a close? Um, you know, I think it's, I always I hear this thing on YouTube, like, is it too late for me to get into YouTube and that kind of stuff? Like, has it just, has it peaked already? And I think the thing that's kind of exciting now is that everybody's kind of at home working from home. So I find that if there's one selfish thing that's been good about COVID is that I've been able, I don't think I would have been able to devote as much time as I have now to my channel had COVID not happened because I was going to work, you know, eight hours a day and then coming home you know, having family time and somehow being able to work on my channel. But now people have a lot of time to explore and try to maybe figure out some of their passions. And what's also happening now is there's these other YouTube or sorry, YouTube like streaming platforms like Rumble is one of them. I don't know if you've heard of Rumble, 
Um, you know, with everything going on in the States with censorship, Rumble is now another video platform people can monetize. I haven't tried it yet, but um, apparently you can make money off ads and there's no censorship and you can just literally go post whatever you want on Rumble, provided it's not like against the law. Um, so that may be like an exciting avenue for people to explore and find a new audience. And Rumble actually promotes your content too. I think if it's exclusive to them, they will promote it. Hmm. And so you can get a jump in views too on that. Um, so I think it's just, you know, now's a good time to try stuff out if you have some time to, to do that. And I think just have fun with it. That's the most important thing. Like just do something that you're going to be passionate about and you can love to do day in and day out. Because if this was something else besides rock and roll, I don't think I would be as passionate about it as I am. And find that really good work-life balance um, where you're, I, I find that having that time away from your business where you're not always working on it is healthy because it, when you come back, you feel refreshed. Like you haven't just exhausted yourself. Yeah. Otherwise it will become work for you. Yeah. It felt like that at a lot of points in my channel where it just felt like work. I was working, I was writing scripts at night, writing scripts as soon as I got up in the morning and I didn't have structure to my day. And just recently I've started to like block off time. Okay. This is script writing time. This is editing time. This is doing thumbnails, um, that kind of stuff. And, uh, I've tried to find more ways to interact with my community. Another thing that we do, um, is that we give clues to our videos. So, every Sunday or Saturday, I post the clues of what's coming this week. And then people love to guess what they are. And uh, that's a lot of fun. And just recently, I started just doing video clues. So I'll like blur the image of the band, and I'll start giving clues about the band. And then people will put the clues down below. And I always get hit up by people being like, where's the clues video today? So I think having that's something I don't think a lot of YouTubers are doing. I've seen a couple people do them. But just having that back and forth with your community is really fun. That's cool. Yeah, this is normally the place where I say, where's the best place for people to find you? <laughs> I kind of feel like that might be a bit redundant. It's rock and roll true stories. And uh, you're on YouTube. Yeah, right. Yeah. You just search for it on YouTube. It comes up. Yeah, just search for it on you. Yeah, search for it on YouTube. And you'll find a number of different stories, uh, different genres and just interesting stories. I think people like Okay. Well, thanks for all the value. I'm sure that um, if if it's someone who is on YouTube or planning to be on YouTube, I'm I'm certain they'll get something very very valuable from that. And um, thanks for being a great guest. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Thomas. I appreciate it. No problem. And I will speak to you soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye.